Before taking the plunge into information security leadership, Dustin Lair spent over a decade as a software engineer and architect in a variety of industries including retail, DoD, and even video games. This diverse background helped him forge close partnerships with development teams, engineering leaders, and software security advocates while pursuing the organizational culture shift of building good security habits into daily work. Dustin joins us to talk about the challenges developers face with security and so much more. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Dustin Lair. You cannot hack yourself secure. Everyone wants to focus on the offensive side of the equation. The challenge is that developers get bored with hacking broken pieces of code after a while. Sure, it's a shiny, cool new thing in the beginning, but how about one year later? At Security Journey, we focus on long-term, sustainable security culture with the developers as defenders. Our approach integrates experimentation together with learning. We believe that developers need hands-on experience, but not at the expense of fundamental knowledge. Visit www.securityjourney.com to sign up for a free trial of the Security Dojo or schedule a demo. Hey folks, welcome to this episode of the Application Security Podcast. This is Chris Romeo, CEO of Security Journey and co-host of said podcast. I am joined by Robert Hurlbut. Hey Robert, how's it going today? Hey Chris, good. Yeah, it's Robert Hurlbut, Threat Modeling Architect, and really glad to be here again to talk about one of our favorite topics, application security. Yeah, and specifically engaging the mind of the developer. I just came up with that on the fly, but that's a lot about what we want to talk about. But we're joined today by Dustin Lair. And Dustin, we always throw this question immediately to our guests. We don't even give them time to take a breath, as our audience already knows, and they're sitting on the edges of their seat. What is your security origin story, or how did you get into this crazy world of application security? Absolutely. So first of all, thank you very much for having me today. Um, my security origin story, I would say, would start with me studying computer science in school, right? So uh, right out of school, becoming a developer, working for over a decade as a developer, uh, and then getting into sort of more of the architecture side, right? Designing systems, architecting systems, et cetera. You know, when you start to get into the architecture side of the house, you're thinking about things beyond just what a developer would think about, right? Developers typically think about, let's make this work, right? Let's get this functionality out the door. Let's make the business happy. Let's do the right thing. When, you, when you're an architect, you think about other things. You think about, you know, uh, how to make this system maintainable. You think about quality, right? You start to think about security. So for me, that's how I naturally just got into it even more. You know, I always kind of had a, a, a security mindset when I was a developer. Um, but when I became an architect, it was like, hey, this is one of those extra things that I can help with, help the developers with. So from there, it was just kind of a natural uh, flow into becoming a security architect which I was for a total of about four months before I got the opportunity to lead an AppSec team. And that was uh, essentially standing up an AppSec team from scratch, right? So there was a little bit of a capability, but, but mainly it was, hey, you know, we, we, we have to roll this out at scale. How are we going to do that? 
Um, so that's how I got into it. I've uh, been doing that for about three years now. Very cool. Wow. So architect. What I'm curious now, what from an architecture perspective, like making that transition from developer to architect, first of all, why did you make that transition or what drew you to say, Hey, I don't, I'm not going to stop coding and I'm going to start drawing pictures of systems. So first of all, never stopped coding. I actually okay. still code today. Okay. Uh, even though I lead a team, I still code. Um, and that's because I, I love it. Right. I love being, I'm, I like, I really love making things work at the end of the day. Right. So, but to go back to your question, why get into the architecture side? I think for me, it's always been about quality, right? Helping, uh, helping not only the, the dev teams, but the developers themselves build quality systems. Right. So I was always thinking a little bit bigger, you know, every developer kind of has their piece of the pie. They're being asked to, to implement something specific, but I was always thinking a little bit bigger, like, what is this, how is this going to impact the whole system? How is this going to impact other components, you know, uh, of the system and of other systems, et cetera, started getting into, you know, reading about microservices and containers and, and all these cool things that really helped me understand the bigger picture. And that's why I just kind of naturally got into it. Plus I like to help people, to be honest, uh, part of the draw to architecture for me was, you know, here's, here's a lot of developers. How can I help them uh, be better, right? How can I mentor them? How, how can I uh, sort of improve, you know, the way that they, that they code? Um, and then I also got into more of the, I would say, project management side as well. Like I've always been, you know, been one to try to figure out, is there a way to improve our processes as well, right? So things like tech debt, uh, you know, uh, one of the big things that I did as an architect was, was frankly, uh, trying to document and capture uh, the tech debt that we had for, for particular systems and start to pick those off, you know, uh, even so far as working with the business to try to allocate some time every single sprint, you know, to actually work on the technical debt. Um, and that's something I've always been passionate about as well is, you know, hey, we have to do more than just um, focus on business features, right? If we, if we want our systems to truly be, um, robust, we have to be focusing on the technical, the technical only work, right? Patching upgrades, uh, re-architecting, right? All of that stuff. So anyway, so that was a long answer, but that's, that's the stuff that I, uh, you know, really care about as an architect as well. So many questions come out of just what you said there. <laughs> you know, when I, when I hear quality, <laughs> when I hear quality, it's, it's one of those old, it's, it seems like it was like a decade ago where everybody was like, security is quality and you can't have, you can't have security without quality. You can't have quality without security. And it seems like it's kind of, it's gone by the wayside. It's not, I, I still firmly believe that it's true, but I want to ask about tech debt. I, I just wanted to make a general statement about quality. Um, talk about tech debt. So, when you think about tech debt in the context of security, so does an AppSec team have tech debt themselves? Are they contributing to the tech debt of another team? Are they watching the tech debt of another team because they don't they don't have any of it? Or how does tech debt influence the AppSec team? That's such a great question. You know, I think it depends on your AppSec team, but in my experience, what we've done is we have brought people on who are developers themselves. So the AppSec team 
in order to better relate to our customers, right, the the developers of, of the company, um, we felt it was necessary to have those development skills, right, um, uh, you know, to have the fruitful conversations, right? So uh, developers develop. So there's no way that we can get away as an AppSec team without developing something. So we have built um, certain systems uh, that, that have helped us, um, you know, better support our customers. And the second you start building a system, the second, we all know this, right? You, you create tech debt almost immediately because you're like, hey, this works, but I don't like this. <laughs> I'm going to come back and fix it, I swear, right? And you put it to do or something. Um, so, you know, do AppSec teams typically have uh, tech debt? I think if they're active in trying to automate things, if they're being creative with the way that they're designing solutions for the rest of the organization, absolutely, they're going to have tech debt, just like everybody else. So. I'm going to let Robert a ask a question now because, you know, I I'm known for asking many, many questions and n almost nonstop. But, Robert, I'll let you have a turn to ask Dustin a question. Well, actually, I want to make a statement. I can definitely identify and resonate with the architect as a developer. I, I remember that switch for myself. And, and it was sort of back then we would say uh, the difference between a a hands-on architect <laughs> versus the uh, the ivory tower architect. But anyway, that's just a interesting aside. Uh, and then you may have already uh, implied this, but just by some of the things that you're working on and, and things that you're doing uh, and still developing and so forth. But what makes you such an advocate for developers uh, with your background and everything? Yeah, great, great question. So, um I think it goes back to I am one still, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, and I've I've been one for for quite a while. I, I think uh, I think that's very valuable in terms of uh, you know an appsec function uh, at a company is to be able to relate to the developers. So, um, there's one particular story though that sort of stands out in my mind. You know, why do I care so much? Why do I care so much about developers and trying to get it right for the developers? Um, I think it's mainly because they have a lot of of things that they take care of. They're responsible for a lot of things, right? And I'm not sure everybody recognizes that. And the, the story that I have is is uh, I was working for a particular company. I'm not going to name the company, but very highly competitive uh, environment in terms of you know the stuff we were working on uh, was appealing to a lot of developers. So. Um, the problem was that the company knew that, right? So they weren't necessarily treating the developers well uh, because they always knew that, look, if this guy quits, uh, we could just go get the next one in line, right? So uh, so basically the developers were working, you know, very, very hard, lots of hours, um, lots of pressure, you know, to deliver. And eventually you just saw them burning out. You know, they would only last for a certain amount of time and then they would leave. And that always struck me as just the wrong approach because we all know as developers, it takes a while to understand the systems that you're supporting. And especially in this case, they had a complicated system, right? So, uh, so it took a while, it took months, many months to understand, you know, all of the ins and outs and all the stuff that, that was going on. And, you know, that was 
that was knowledge and, and skills for the, for their systems that were just walking out the door because they were burning out. And I just remember thinking that's, that's not the way to do it. Like you, you got to keep the people who have invested all of that time around. Otherwise the next guy that walks in the door, he's going to have to learn everything all over again. Right. So I always just thought, look, um, developers are important, you know, and especially in this case, uh, you know, it was a very software centric business. So it just struck me like, look, you know, if your business depends on your software and you're not treating the people who are maintaining your software very well, you know, you, that just doesn't seem like the right approach. Right. So ever since then, I've always been very developer friendly, you know, uh, advocates advocate for developers, because I think we need to very much respect what they do. And the fact that most businesses these days, you know, depend on software and therefore depend on their developers. Right. And I want to, I want to talk some more about developers, but I want to ask a follow-up question about kind of as I'm pondering your history and, and how you got to security and the emphasis that you put on development, it's been a bit of a, I don't want to say a controversy. That seems so strong, but this idea that some people have come out and said, Hey, you know what? If you're going to be in security, if you're going to be in AppSec, software security, something like that, you have to code. You must code. Like it's mandatory. I'm curious what your take is on that. And also what you would say, because I think I know, I think I know how you're going to land. I'm going to, I'm going to listen to how you're going to land first before I ask my next question, just to keep myself out of trouble. Is it completely necessary for AppSec people to know how to code? Yes. I would say surprisingly, maybe no. Um, I think there are other skills that you could go into an AppSec program with, you know, as an AppSec person um, that are, that are also valuable. Um, one of the big ones in my mind is application pen testing, right? And the reason for that, you know, let's say, let's say you haven't coded anything, you know, you, you know, besides maybe a couple of bash scripts or something that you've had to whip out, you haven't really coded an application, but you know how to attack it. You know how to be creative with finding loopholes or, you know, maybe you even come from a te general testing background. So you're used to, uh, you know, poking at applications. I would say that's also a perfect background, right? Because now you're able to help developers understand that other side of how to look at it, right? There's the engineering side, I'm going to make this work. Then there's the, how do I break this mentality? And I think that's also very valuable um, for AppSec people to have. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to offer kind of another opinion about the, the application pen test that you just described. Sure. I'm going to, my, my conclusion. So I've met a lot of those people. I am not one of those people, just cards on the table, right? Like I don't have the, whatever the, the, the patience to tear things apart in really tiny little pieces that they do. And, and, and I respect all of their abilities, but the best application pen testers I've ever met are, are good because they know how to code. Like they understand what's happening behind the scenes in the application. It's not just a, a, a front that they're just looking at and seeing, Hey, I know there's a web interface here. I know how they know what languages are running behind the scenes. And that helps them to inform them to know what might I find on the other side if I was able to get past that. So I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm somebody who's not like, I'm not 
I'm not going to take a hard and fast stance to say if you know some people are out there going around saying you know like if you know you have to if you're in security you have to code. I think it's valuable. I think it's being able to walk with a developer through a code review. Like there's nothing, and you can you can probably tell you probably have stories about this, Dustin too, and even Robert too from your experience where you sit there and do a code review with the developer in a language that you know enough about, even just to be dangerous, and it's their main language, and you're like, well, hey, what about this? You know that line right there. Um, what's that? What is that? You know, function doing right there? You know what? I've seen that command before used. It's been kind of dangerous. Like that developer's face is going to light up because like it's not just somebody who's like, oh, somebody who doesn't know what I do. This is someone who knows at least enough about the language. They care enough about me to have learned the language they're trying to influence that I'm doing. So, any additional thoughts, kind of from that perspective? I want to make sure I give you. This isn't a debate, yeah. by the way. It's just a, I'm just. This is a friendly yeah. conversation. If it was a debate, I wouldn't mind anyway. So I, I like the idea of sort of challenging our, our ideas here. So, um, you know, I, I agree with you, you know, in, in terms of the value of having those development skills when you have those kinds of conversations. What I was saying before is not that, you know, the, the pen testing background is is ideal. I, I think ideally you would have hardcore development experience because exactly like you said, you can have those, you know, very um, detailed conversations with developers, right? You can point to point to a line and, and they get excited because they're like, cool, I'm talking to someone who knows this stuff as well, right? Yeah. Um, but one thing I want to clarify is that coming into AppSec, um, I wouldn't necessarily put a barrier up and say, if you don't have coding skills, you can't be part of the team because we can find a lot of value mm -hmm. in, uh, you know, really a lot of sort of diverse skills on, on our AppSec team to begin with. So someone who has more pen testing skills, great. You know, you can help teach the rest of the team who may be more uh, fluent with, uh, with uh, you know, coding, you know, and vice versa. Yeah. I think yeah, totally. after a few years, sorry, after a few years, ideally we'd want to have everybody have some level of pen testing skills and, and coding skills as well, because yeah. I think that's, that's the, the, you know, kind of maximum benefit, right. That we can uh, provide the org. Totally, totally agree that we don't want to put up any barriers. Like, listen, as an industry, we put up enough barriers against everything to prevent people from doing like, so yeah, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm with you wholeheartedly there. Like putting up a barrier that say you have to know how to code to join an AppSec team doesn't seem fair. Now, if I'm hiring somebody who's new to AppSec that's coming in, part of their one year plan is going to be, Hey, let's, let's, let's get some experience with coding. And listen, I mean, I've been in AppSec for 10 plus years at this point. I am not a superstar coder. Like I can, co I'm dangerous behind the keyboard. That's what I am. I make stuff work, but then some of my senior development friends will look at it and go, oh, why didn't you just do this one? Why'd you do 12 lines? Why didn't you just do this one line? I'm like, I didn't know that one line existed. But my 12 lines, you know, one of my, one of my favorite pieces of code that I wrote, I wrote, a, I wrote a snippet of code that I would be embarrassed to show to parse JSON. It was a set of three loops that had loops inside of them that was, <laughs> that was parsing JSON. So my stuff works. But, but all that to say, like, I don't want to see us put any more barriers up. Like, we need more people in our industry. And let's break down barriers and say, hey, let's bring people to the table, get them on the team, and then give them a path to that one year. I love the idea of, of my... AppSec team be, be, having knowledge in how to code, knowledge some knowledge in how to break stuff, but they don't have to have it on day one. Exactly. Completely agree. And there was something that was said earlier about the ivory tower mentality. <laughs> right. 
I think having people on your team who are learning is actually a good thing when it comes to showing that we're like human almost. Uh, and, and, you know, when we partner with others, um, and I'd like to go into that a little bit as well. Like, you know, it's important to create a partnership, right? Between your AppSec team and your development teams. Part of how to do that is creating, you know, kind of a, a mutual trust going both ways. Having an ivory tower mentality, like, hey, we know everything. You should just kind of follow everything that we're saying. It doesn't work as well as, hey, you know, we're here. We have a certain set of skills. We know you have a certain set of skills. Let's work together, you know, to find a solution. Um, and that's kind of where, again, I wouldn't expect, you know, AppSec people to come in the door knowing absolutely everything about AppSec. You know, there's learning opportunities for them. There's learning opportunities for the developers. Let's work together and, and get there together. Let's be honest, too. If somebody tells me they know everything about AppSec, I'm just not going to talk to them anymore. Exactly. <laughs> because nobody knows. Like, I mean, I've been in this I've been in the security business for almost 25 years. And all that I learn every year is how much I don't know about all right. of the things that make up here. So but I'm, I'm a lifelong learner. I'm I'm reading. I'm learning about things. And people are challenging me through this podcast where, you know, we had an episode with uh, Robert, I remember, with Alyssa Miller a couple of uh, months or so ago talking about DevOps. And we got on this discussion of people process tools. And Alyssa said, I always add governance to that. And I was like, ah, what? Governance? <laughs> like, who? Like, I, I don't like that word. They've always been against me. And she and then she started explaining it. And I'm like, I got to the end and I was like, yeah, people, process, tools and governance. And so that's 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 part of like none of us are experts. We're all learning every day. Let's transition into some of these challenges. So I'm curious and I'm going to I'm going to go to both of you with this question, because I know Robert's got a lot of uh, development experience and a lot of security experience as well, just like you do is uh, Dustin. So I'm curious on both of your takes from this perspective, but what are the challenges that developers face with security? Let's start with Dustin and then Robert will come to you for an answer. You're going to, I'm going to turn the microphone around on you here and then actually ask a question. <laughs> so uh, developers are very busy. I think, I think that that's where I would want to focus and kind of index on a little bit here. Um, I think the biggest challenges come from the fact that uh they have business features to get out the door, right? There's a lot of pressure on them to to do that uh, consistently. Not only that, we talked about some of the other stuff, tech debt, right? They have to think about maintaining their systems, patching, um, maintainability of the code, you know, performance of their code. There, there's all these things that they're constantly thinking about. So, you know, for us security folks to come in and say, here's one more thing. You know, you should be thinking about security. Th to them, I mean, that could be the straw that broke the camel's back, right? They're like, I just, I can't do that, right? Uh, I have a million other things to think about. This cannot be part of, part of that. So I think the biggest challenges really lie in that. And that's where I think it's very important for us as, as security people to work very hard for our customers when it comes to providing them solutions. The solution cannot be, Hey, everybody, we need you to, to work harder to, you know, to, to take security into account on top of everything else. I think our jobs, because frankly, the ultimate goal here, right, is security is everybody's responsibility. The ultimate goal is really to have the developers, architects, everybody thinking security as they're doing their day jobs every single day, every time they hit the keyboard, right? Um, 
So where does that leave a security team? Like if we have the, if we have everybody doing that, what is it exactly that the security team does then? Right. And I think what's important to note here is that the security team is still very valuable in that situation because they are providing the tools, the guidance, the, the standards, you know, all of that sort of direction and, and capabilities for the organization to, to do security, you know, to take security into account easier. Right. Yeah. So, so that's what I would say. So, so I would say, yeah, biggest challenge is time and it's up to security to really be, you know, putting ourselves in the shoes of the developers and really any of our customers to try to design, you know, solutions that work for them and, and that are going to, you know, not be huge time uh, uh, consumers for them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, imagine a day where we worked ourselves out of a job. Mm -hmm. Imagine, right. imagine how, how great the world, like, I mean, you know, how we'd be so happy to put our, our data in a database somewhere like, ah, it's going to be fine. We've got this, this whole AppSec <laughs> thing figured out. I think we're all going to be gainfully employed as long as we want to. So I'm not planning my retirement anytime soon based on kind of what, what I see, but that's certainly, and it certainly can be a goal of ours. We should always be thinking about how am I putting myself out of this job, whether that is, by building tools and processes and things to empower, just like Dustin, you're saying, empower the developers, empower the architects, empower the testers, whoever, whoever's on your team. You're empowering them to do security and to embrace that themselves. Uh, but I, I still don't think we're going to work ourselves out of, out of a job. And I don't think, I don't think either of you are concerned about that as well. No. Um, Robert, what, uh, when you're thinking about challenges from a developer perspective with security, what, what are some of the things that come to your mind? Well, yeah, certainly time, um, time crunches and things like that, uh, as Dustin mentioned. But another thing I was thinking about is I remember uh, as a developer when I would build uh, or, or try to build code related to use cases and uh, in thinking about security as well is what are the failures? And sometimes uh, certainly those who are new to development or even after a few years, they may think of the positive cases, but they don't necessarily think of the negative cases. And so sometimes they need help with that. Uh, and, you know, help me understand what are the negative cases so I can build the right test cases in place. And that can relate to security as well. So it's one thing to say, here's a bunch of, of standards that you need to uh, build into the code. Okay. But what is in there that helps me understand the failure modes that are also related to security? You know, I log in and it fails. What do I do? Uh, and, and so on and so on. So those kinds of things in terms of testing, in terms of writing, you know, the term we keep throwing around these days are resilient code. But, you know, building in uh, those kinds of things sometimes can be a challenge uh, for developers if they're thinking of the happy path. And not always the sad path <laughs> or trying to figure out what are the sad paths, if you will, throughout the code that might relate to security. Yeah, we were um, I was doing a, an interview for the episode right before this one with Aaron Reinhardt, and he made a comment about uh, resilient code and said it's really not resilient code. It's resilience engineering. Yeah. It's not the code. It's the engineering process. And that just that just caught me when I was when I was. Listening oh, yeah, to that absolutely. All right, so now I'm going to flip the question, and I'm going to say, okay, you got a chance to share the challenge with the audience. Uh, 
We can't just be a podcast that's known for our problems. We have to be a podcast that's also known for our solutions. So, Dustin, to you, to kind of your when you're thinking about all the different priorities and things that face security or face developers as they're trying to measure security and tech debt and and performance and quality and all of the other things that get dropped on top of them. What's uh, what's the solution from your perspective? How do you help them to get past that challenge? Yeah, great, great question. Um, I think I think automation is key, but I also think culture shift, sort of mind sh mindset shift, is also part of the solution, right? So let's think about it in terms of the SDLC for a minute, right? I think one of the best places to start, frankly, and if you're going to start an AppSec program, I think this is a perfect place to start. Start on the right side. Start by measuring yourself. Start by running uh, scans, right? Start by automating the, the scans uh, that you run, whether it's SAST or IAST, et cetera. Um, <clears throat> really just to capture what are we looking at? What's the landscape? What is the maturity of, of the organization? Um, and then you sort of, what you do when you do that as well is you, you have a measuring stick, right? This is where we started. And then you can shift left, right? You can start to, um, I have this saying called start right sh or uh, uh, shift left means to start right, right? We don't say <laughs> start left. We say shift left, which means start right in my head. Um, and, and that's kind of what I'm explaining right now. So, you know, if, if you start on the right side, you start measuring yourself and then you, you, you put things into the SDLC, the process to, you know, to move left, right? Over time, uh, new habits, you know, new things to eventually prevent those issues that, uh, you know, that you, that you found. Um, and as you do that, you can measure success because you have those metrics in place, right? So you do, you do another annual pen test, uh, you know, if the issues are, are less than you saw last year, you know, you can you can say part of that is is likely because of some of these other habits that we put into place. So um, let's talk about those as well. And I could go on about this for hours, just so you know. So <laughs> we all could. Me, but, um, we all could. And I yeah, love the um, that, that, that's, a, that's a good that's a good I, I that's why I love doing this podcast, because I've never thought about it like that. I've never thought about it as metrics first. And I don't think I ever would have thought metrics first, but it's brilliant because if you start with metrics right off the bat, even if it's some simple scans and, and just collecting that data, now we can say, hey, two quarters out, now that we're looking back, look where we are now. Like mm -hmm. we started here, we were at you know 1%, right. now we're at 22% of something. Oh, that's, you know, we've got some progress. So yeah, that really, um, it's, 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 it's really making me think. And that's, that's why, why we do this. But I want to get Robert's answer to his challenge. And we were going to talk about AppSec programs too, but we'll have to save that for another episode because, <laughs> which we will do rel relatively soon to, uh, to dive into that whole issue because I think we've got a whole other episode just to talk about AppSec programs and building those, something that all three of us are passionate about. But Robert, I wanted to get your take on your solution on mm -hmm. what your example was. Well, a couple things uh, that I can think of that I've, I've seen work and have um, done myself that have worked is, is one, when you're trying to figure out those failure cases, sometimes the reason why we think of the happy path is because it all works on my machine. You know? And so what Dustin mentioned about the automation can really help is, is to test uh, with different um, automated tests 
of those failure cases and then learn from them. Uh, if I'm not sure what are the failure cases, if I already have some good tools that build in uh, those kinds of failure cases, and that's where a security person can can establish some of those or uh, other um, uh, business folks who can think about what those are and build those in to test. And then developers learn what those are. They they see it not running on their machine because, of course, it runs perfectly, but they see it in another environment uh, with automated testing, with with automated um, verifications that, uh, hey, in other situations, this fails. Oh, why did it fail? Oh, I see. I didn't even think about that. That didn't even occur to me that that might be a potential issue related to security or otherwise. And so now they start to build those in to their own tests. So we catch those much earlier if they happen as they run unit tests and so forth. And so those are some of my uh, thoughts and the things I've seen that work well in terms of, again, it's a partnership, right? Uh, I can't expect to know everything as a developer, but there are others who do know a few more things about how the system is working or should work and together working together with uh, tools that, that help me do what I'm doing and help them understand what I'm doing as a developer, I think together uh, we can build a, a better, more secure product. Yeah, and <clears throat> that reminds me of something. So um, one of the best starting places that I've found to sort of start people down the rabbit hole of, of learning about AppSec, frankly, is to run a scan on their application, their piece of code. Mm. Because, you know, Everyone thinks their baby's beautiful, right? But when you right. say, here's your scan results, yeah, your your baby's not as beautiful as you thought. Um, it's an eye-opening experience for them. They're like, oh, like you said, Robert, I've, right. I never thought of that. I never thought of it that way. And you can sort of teach them from there, right? You can right. say, hey, you know, here's what, here's the world of cross-site scripting and here's OWASP and there you go. They're off to the races, you know, uh, learning about AppSec. So. Yeah. And there's something about what you just said. There's something about reading about it, uh, watching a demo of it, or actually seeing your own code have it <laughs> in uh, built in yep. something you thought worked great. But oh, I have a, a cross-site scripting vulnerability <laughs> I didn't even think about in my own code. Oh, geez. Oh, but now I know how it works. Now I understand how to Wait, protect against it. So you guys have vulnerabilities in your code. Mm. <laughs> None. I played the fifth right, to not right. incriminate myself in a court of law, your honor. Well, Dustin, we got to uh, kind of land the plane here for the audience. And so we like to ask as our final question, what is the key takeaway or perhaps a call to action that you would leave with our audience? Something you want them to do? What would it be? Yeah, so I, you know, I think we touched on this a lot today, but I, I do want to kind of drive it home. You know, as security people, especially AppSec people, we need to work very hard to make, you know, to be an advocate for our developers, right? So do whatever you can um, to uh, evaluate, find the right tools, find the tools that are going to save them time, whatever it is to make it easier for them. Uh, we need to tackle because frankly, you know, that's why we're there. Right. So, so I would say that let's, you know, call to action would be uh, work hard, make sure that you are uh, being an advocate for your developers and you're evaluating tools, uh, you know, that are going to work best for them. 
Awesome. Dustin, thanks for taking the time to share with our audience your passion for helping developers learn more about security, get more into security. It was awesome to hear your your path, how you got into the world of security and how that's influenced your thinking in everything that you're doing. And we'll definitely have to do another episode very soon to talk about AppSec programs, something that was on the agenda, but we didn't even get to because we were having so much fun talking about what we talked about. So Dustin, once again, thanks. And I look forward to talking again soon. Thanks a lot, Chris and Robert. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Application Security Podcast. You'll find the show on Twitter at AppSec Podcast and on the web at www.securityjourney.com slash resources slash podcast. You can also find Chris on Twitter at EdgeRoute and Robert at Robert Hurlbut. Remember, with application security, there are many paths, but only one destination.